Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant, and there's Jerry. Jerry Mander. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Our pet salamander, Jerry Mander. <laughs> and this is Stuff You Should Know. That was a dad joke right out of the gate. Man, I, I, apparently that's all I've got these days are dad jokes. There's nothing wrong with that. Guess not. Which is really just a way of saying uh, middle-aged dude jokes. Sure, sure. Because I think our senses of humor decline. We get less funny. <laughs> Look at Jim Gaffigan. But we think we're funnier. <laughs> right. Hot pockets? <laughs> Actually, I, I tease Jim. I, I love your work. Oh, are you pals? No. Oh, okay. No, but I do love his work. Gotcha. I'm just a fan. Yeah. What's um, it like? I like absolutely zero. <laughs> there is zero not to like about Jim Gaffigan. Uh, you know my buddy Jim Isa. He's um he's sort of pals with him. He says he's a good guy. I, I like. There's no way he's not. Yeah. You know, like you just you can't you can't you can't make up that level of like n- coolness and niceness and approachability, affability, even maybe gaffability. <laughs> <laughs> nice. He just went. That's genius. I'm going to trademark that. <laughs> totally. As if he listens to this show. So here we're diving into politics, uh, which we keep saying, like, oh, let's not do that because it's political. But this is very newsy, and not everyone understands gerrymandering. And I think it's this file this under PSA because it's a big deal and it stinks, and it's been going on for a long time. Yeah, it was. I'm definitely one of those people who didn't understand it. Like, I knew, yeah, it had to do with drawing maps, and you could draw them so that they're unfair. And I never thought, well, how do you do that? And I found out thanks to researching this episode. And apparently, it's gotten way, way worse in recent years. Sure. So, but to to understand gerrymandering, though, you have to understand a little bit about the House of Representatives, one of the two houses of Congress. One's the Senate, one's the House of Representatives. And Webster's defines House. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. So, the deal with the House is, is that, the founding fathers mm-hmm. um, invented the house or established, let's say, the house to be a much more sort of of the moment, reactive, fair, ultra democratic group of uh, governing body, and that it's only every two years. And the idea was to have a lot of turnover and have them really, uh, you know, because there's 435 of them, have them really. Uh, really tied to their constituents. Right. So it's just a super fair way for things that really matter to you on a smaller level are heard as opposed to the Senate, which is, you know, far, far fewer. Right. And there are a couple of ways that they did this. One, like you said, elections are held every two years. All Congress people are up for re-election every two years. And they're, they're elected directly by the people they represent. Right. And when they started, I think there were 65 seats in the House of Representatives. And by 1912, I think it was up to 435. And they, they added seats because they established the House of Representatives to, to represent a set proportion of um, population. population. So each congressperson represents one chunk of America. Yep. 
from their state, right? Mm-hmm. So the larger and larger America grew, the more and more Congress people you needed. And then finally, in 1912, they said, uh, we can't do this anymore. We're just going to, if you have too many Congress people, they're going to, um, you're not going to be able to do anything. Yeah, it's it just, just going to be unwieldy. too many. Right. So they capped it at 435. And that does something. It's it, it means that if you have a state that keeps growing, because it's not like America stopped growing in population in 1912. So as your population keeps growing, that means that as one state keeps growing, proportionately speaking, that means another state is smaller, whether people move from that state to the other larger state Mm -hmm. or the other larger state just by contrast attracted more people, that means that the smaller state or the one that didn't grow as much is going to actually lose congressional seats and that the bigger seat or the bigger state, the one that's growing, will actually gain congressional seats because, again, a congressperson represents a set amount of the American public from their home state. And right now it's about, I think the average is 711,000 people is how many people a congressperson represents in the U.S. today. Yeah, and they did this through uh, what was called the Reapportionment Act of 1929, which basically set up, all right, here's an automatic system now. Every 10 years we do a census, and they will just redistribute and allocate seats according to that census every 10 years. And like you said... If you're growing, we're going to nip some away from the places that aren't growing or are shrinking. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, it seemed like a pretty fair way to redistribute and allocate these uh, these seats. It is. It's extremely fair. And so as a result, you've got like Montana, that the whole state has one congressional district that represents about a million people, whereas New York State has, which is a third of the size of Montana, has 27 congressional districts and hence seats in Congress, right? It's a very fair system. Here's the problem. When the Census Bureau figures out all these figures and they say, well, this state actually should get two new Congress people and, you know, this state should lose one and another state loses one, um, they have to redraw the maps of the state to show what these new districts are. Because population has shifted every over the 10 years since the last census, so you have to update the maps to make sure that, they, that uh, each congressperson is representing roughly the same number of people, and so everybody is accounted for. Again, makes sense, right? Yeah, but the problem came in when they were very vague as far as the rules for drawing these boundaries. Uh, it says something like geographically, con- uh, geographically contiguous, uh, compact in shape, roughly equal in population. All these things are subjective. So when partisan politics become involved, the people that redraw these maps, it seems can't help themselves but be like, hey, if we move over 10 blocks this way and like a couple of miles that way and shape it like this, which looks really weird, but hey, that's okay because these rules are vague, then we, you know, even though there may be a majority of uh, one party we could still win if we draw this thing the right way. Right. Like the big problem with this whole process for apportioning the House of Representatives seats is that they left in each state the dominant political party who happened to be in power at the time when the, the maps needed to be re- redrawn. It was left up to them. There's no federal <laughs> I oversight. I can't believe they let There's that get no, by. 
There's no oversight whatsoever. And the whole premise of it was, well, okay, um, the voters will see what they're doing and will vote those guys out. The problem is, if you control the congressional maps, you can draw them in such a way that even the voters can't vote you out. And this is gerrymandering, and this is the current state of politics right now. And has been for a very long time. Actually, we've been gerrymandering for a while. But again, like I said, supposedly it's gotten way worse in the last decade. Yeah. All right. I'm a little worked up already. Yep. You've got a, interestingly, you're crying blood. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying not to, but it's not helping. So we're going to take a little break and maybe let's jump back and talk history if that's all right with you. I would love that, Chuck. And then we will go back forward in time uh, to study the current mess that we're in right after this. All right, we're in the Wayback Machine. Yep. It's 1788. Uh, Virginia ratifies its uh, ratifies the Constitution of the U.S., and former Governor Patrick Henry convinces uh, his state legislators to redraw the 5th Congressional District to force his foe, James Madison, mm-hmm. to run against James Monroe because mm-hmm. he figured he could easily win. It backfired on him. Madison came out on top. But this kind of kick-started at the onset of our uh, founding of our country in the Constitution, the, the process of gerrymandering, even though at that point it wasn't quite known as gerrymandering yet. No, it wasn't. It was known as ger- gerrymandering after, I think, eight, the 1820s, I believe. And the governor of Massachusetts, Elbridge Gerry. 1812. 1812. Um, Elbridge Gerry, who was, he was the governor of Massachusetts, right? Correct. He um, came up with a map that he drew to help keep his party, the Democrat Republicans, I think. which De- is Democratic Republicans. Beyond confusing, right? But um, he drew a map that was just abhorrent. It was just so clearly partisan and drawn just to keep his, his party in power in Massachusetts. But I think the Boston Gazette published a picture of this map and proclaimed that it looked like a salamander. Mm -hmm. And so they said, this isn't a salamander. This is a gerrymander, which is a million times worse because it's politically toxic and a lizard. (laughs) I love that little tidbit that that's where the name came from. Yeah, I never had any idea. But that's where gerrymandering came from. Not a pretty word, but it definitely rolls off the tongue like a... um, oil. <laughs> so it, it grew to be a very common practice and very uh, blatant. And Congress at one point early on in 1842 tried to get it under control with that uh, apportionment act that I talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, and that said, you know, those vague things like let's draw these things uh, as contiguous and compact as possible. But it, it just apparently no one – I guess the rules were so vague and outlined in such a nebulous manner that there was no way to enforce it such that at one point they carved out two separate states, North and South Dakota, uh, 
the Republican-controlled Congress so they could get more seats in the Senate. Yeah, at the time, if you were a state, you had three electoral college votes, no matter your size or anything like that. And the the Dakota territories were Republican-leaning. So the Republicans said, hey, you guys, welcome to the union. And by the way, we're going to carve you into two states, so now we have six electoral votes rather than just the three if you were one big state. Yeah. (laughs) Pretty clever. Pretty sneaky, sis. So, um... One thing that this article, I think this is a Patrick Kiger article, I think it's smart to point out is that this is not just a Republican technique. This has been done throughout history by both the parties, um, both the, the two main parties, the Democrats and the Republicans, apparently also the Democratic Republicans, and um, to to the same effect, which is we're drawing these maps to make sure that you guys don't have a fighting chance in the next congressional elections. Right. Uh, I did some digging, though, because I was curious about these days, like who um, – it's interesting because you can say who is worse uh, with gerrymandering or more correctly maybe who is better mm-hmm. at gerrymandering Sure. as far as getting it pushed through more. And uh, every political science and mathematician will tell you that uh, across the board sort of Republicans – are, are either better at it or doing it way more. Or that the the recent elections over the last, I think, like three or so have, have favored the GOP in ways that they ended up with something like 20 extra seats that they wouldn't have otherwise had had the maps not been gerrymandered. Yeah, and that in some of these, I think Maryland was one case where uh, even though, was it Maryland, where the Democrats held like a, a 52% majority. Yeah. Yet they the maps are drawn in such a way that they would have to get like an 8 to 10 point. Oh, I'm sorry. That's Wisconsin. Yeah, Wisconsin. An 8 to 10 point victory in order to overcome those gerrymandered maps. Yeah, which is it's just not going to happen because Wisconsin is pretty close to being um, down the middle. Yeah. And that's actually a, a really good example of the, the modern gerrymandering that's going on. Like Patrick Kiger points out, when you think of gerrymandering, this kind of thing, you think of like guys like in a back room smoking cigars and like like poking each other in the chest saying, this this is my district and you, you can have this one, that kind of thing. But this is actually like there are very specialized political consultants who go around the country uh, after each census and help states draw their maps. Um, and they're, they're, they do so with like really sophisticated software that has like block level census data. So like just like by the block, the people who live on a block, they can carve it out like that so that they can more accurately create these maps. And then when they create these maps, they can create dozens, as many as you want. And when they when they use them as a model, they can feed them into their their computers and run a simulation of future elections based on this map. It's crazy. And then they can. This is why it's gotten so bad. And then they can um, adjust. Take this block out. What happens if we take this block mm-hmm. out and put this one in instead? And now all of a sudden, oh well, we'll win for the next ten years. And they have this this map. And the reason that I started talking about this, apparently, Wisconsin has a map. That's in effect right now mm-hmm. that is so well done that even if the the um, Democrats get 52% of the vote statewide, 
the Republicans would still control 60 seats in the, in the state assembly, that they would not lose any seats whatsoever, even if the Democrats got 52 percent of the, the vote. Yeah. And um, the, the one kind of um, the one thing where it kind of stings them, even though there haven't been any real repercussions yet, is that one political scientist said it's getting so sophisticated, though, and they're drawing these maps in such a weird way that you can then go back and look and say, this is clearly an outlier because this thing looks like a, a sidewinder rattlesnake across the state, mm-hmm. and that is neither contiguous or compact, and it's just so obvious what's going on because you're using these computer programs to just distort these maps to your favor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is where I just get so burned up on both sides because sure. it's it just completely subverts the process in place, which is you are supposed to be able to vote for the person that represents you and that vote count. I'm glad you said that, man, because it's absolutely true. This is not like lip service, like both sides do it. So we're mad about it. No, like this is this is genuinely like neither side of this of uh, should be doing this. This is a inherent flaw in the political system that back in the day when things were different, we could get along with it. It was a stumbling block. It was kind of kind of hamstrung the the democratic process some. Now, with a couple of things, uh, it has gone into hyperdrive. Like so many things have, like like normal political weirdness put through certain filters, like incredibly powerful computer programs that just hyper tailor things like this. That's a big problem. The other problem is the the polarization of politics to a degree that it hasn't been for well over a century or so, that has made gerrymandering all the worse. Because before, you could gerrymander all you want. and But there were such things as moderate Democrats and moderate Republicans. And if it was a reasonable piece of legislation, they would cross the aisle to vote for it. They would break ranks. That does not exist anymore. If you're a moderate, ten within the last 10 years... Uh, wealthy interests basically carved you out. They created um, they created upstart political parties to run against you in the primaries, so you would lose your seat, or your national convention would collude with their favorite candidate against you. There's no middle any longer. So the fact that they're the the current political power, whoever's in in charge of that state, can gerrymander makes it all the worse because it just makes those divisions even deeper because the parties get what they want one way or the other. There's no middle ground anymore. So gerrymandering has become a real, real problem in the, the 21st century. Well, yeah, and it's just the other thing that burns me up is is it's just a a smack in the face of the average citizen. Yeah. It's done behind closed doors with zero thought to, geez, what is this country supposed to be about? And it's just it just – really burns me up. Uh, there was a uh, a report last year by the Brennan Center for Justice, and this just really kind of shows exactly what's going on. It's not like we needed this proof, but almost all gerrymandered districts in this country are in seven states, Michigan, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Florida, Ohio, Texas, and Virginia. And Texas aside, what do those other states have in common with one another? I, I don't know. They're the swing they- states. Oh, yeah, yeah. So the swing states have been lost as a result of gerrymandering, huh? Yeah, th- those those seven states are where these gerrymandered, uh, gerrymandered districts 
are happening. And it, they're all swing states. It's just like it's, lit, it's literally they're going in and targeting how can we rig this thing as much as possible. Right. It's just it's disgusting. Plus, also, the next time you hear a politician um, talk about the founding fathers and what they wanted and their view of everything, like this, this runs so far afoul of what the framers of the Constitution were looking for when they found when they established the House of Representatives. It's it's mind boggling. Like they they are probably generating usable energy through the spinning in their graves that's going on right now because. They created the House of Representatives so that there would be, like you said, Chuck, turnover every couple of years, that they were the pulse of the people. They were elected directly by the people. They were meant to be the voice of the people at any given time. And the fact that gerrymandering has has been allowed to to go on like this means that there are safe seats now. States where you can reasonably expect the party and maybe even a single politician to hold on to for a decade or more. Yeah, which is not how it was supposed to be in the House. No, and I saw that these days in the U.S. in in, um, congressional races, maybe 100 of the 435 seats are actually competitive races. The rest have been so firmly made safe through gerrymandering over the years, that they're not even competitive anymore. Either that one candidate or their one party is going to control that that district. All right, I see another trickle of blood coming out of your eye. Just one? So let's take another break, and we're going to get uh, come back and start up with uh, the two main mer- uh, gerrymandering techniques right after this. All right, so I promised talk of techniques. Um, you hear gerrymandering and redrawing maps. There are a couple of ways that you can do this. Uh, they're called cracking and packing. Cracking is when you when you scatter the political supporters across a lot of different districts mm-hmm. so that they just never get a majority in any of them. Like, let me just snake it up this way for a mile, then back down here, and we pretty much know that they're not going to get a majority and we're going to win. Uh, the other one's called packing, and that's when they jam everyone into just a few districts and essentially just say, fine, we're going to lose those districts, but we're going to win overwhelmingly everywhere else, the majority of the other districts, mm-hmm. so we're going to be fine. Right. And cracking and packing just sound like a political consultant came up with those to explain it to legislators. Oh, uh, and th- they probably thought it was like <laughs> the most clever, you know, right. get it? It rhymes even. <laughs> right. So... Here's the thing with that, right? You, you can you can use those techniques in a couple of different ways, but but with the advent of those same computer programs that that can crack people or pack people more efficiently into all different maps or whatever, you can use those same ones to kind of expose that kind of thing, right? Sure. And so you can actually with those same computers, I think you were saying you can use to to expose this kind of stuff, and that that political scientist you mentioned. Um, not George Nicholas Stephanopoulos. Yeah, his distant cousin. I looked. I don't think they're related. <laughs> no, I don't think so either. Believe it or not, um, but the but Nicholas Stephanopoulos came up with the, that efficiency um, percentage. And so what you do, Chuck, is you let's say that we have, and here's the part where I confuse everybody. You ready? 
Yeah, I was waiting on this. Okay, good. <laughs> so let's say that you have five districts, mm-hmm. and you have 10 people in a district, and there's just two parties. I'm already mm-hmm. lost. Because <laughs> okay, you said so, a number. I'm so uh, I No, I've got it. I've got it. I, I'm going to start over. I just scratched out the old stuff. All right. Starting anew. When you pack a district, mm-hmm. meaning you take basically a huge chunk of the, the other party supporters and, and put them into one or two districts, what you're doing is, like you said, you're giving up those districts. Mm-hmm. You know you're going to lose them. But as long as there's only a couple in the larger scheme of things, as far as Congress is concerned, you're actually coming out on top because you're going to win more because you've packed all of the, the opposition into just a couple of districts, right? right? So in any one of those districts, you have some wasted votes. You have your people's wasted votes because you're going to have some people who live in that district and their votes cannot possibly change the outcome of those districts' elections. Yeah. So their votes are literally what they call wasted votes. You also have some of that the opposition's people's votes because all they need is the majority of the vote or the most votes and they're going to win. But whatever goes over that 51%, that's wasted votes too. So there's a bunch of wasted votes in there. And then similarly with cracking, when you dilute the other party's voters and you pack them in with your people, but you have way more people, their votes are wasted and you've got some people whose votes are wasted either. So if you take all the wasted votes in a state you put them together, subtract them from one another, and then divide that by 100, you've got what's called this efficiency percentage. And it's actually a usable number that, when you look at it, shows you very clearly which party is favored. Is it a negative or a positive percentage? And it will show you who's favored. And they're, they're trying to come up with a rule of thumb now that says that anything over a 7% efficiency percentage is, is basically undemocratic and should be outlawed. Yeah. That wasn't too confusing, was it? No. Okay. Not at all. Here's something that isn't confusing at all. <clears throat> Prison gerrymandering. <laughs> this is mind-blowing that this yeah. is allowed. Uh, certain states have counted prison populations as part of these efforts to redraw these districts, even though prisoners cannot vote. They're not eligible to vote. So there's a ward in Iowa that has 1,400 residents, 1,300 of whom are prisoners, and that counts. And only yep. a few a few states so far have, have ruled this unconstitutional. The rest are just playing ball. Right. And by doing that, you give those hundred that can vote a way more power because you're actually their their vote is the opposite of diluted. It's concentrated by the addition of the non voting block. Yeah, and again, all this is happening because from the beginning, political political parties are in charge of doing this and the only thing that's gonna stop this is because uh, I would think any sensible, reasonably intelligent American would say this is bad for democracy, Yeah. no matter which party is doing it. Yep. And the only way to, to possibly break this up is to have nonpartisan commissions in charge of redrawing these maps. Yeah, and supposedly they tried that in Canada. I guess they had rampant gerrymandering, and in the 60s they said, nah, we're done. Your political parties can't be trusted with this anymore. Because, Chuck, it's as simple as that. There's no reason to put it any other way. Neither of the political parties can be trusted with this very, very important task. It's yeah. ju- that's, they've just proved it, both of them, 
over and over again. And in Canada in the 60s, they finally just came out and said it and put their foot down. And they created a nonpartisan, unelected commission who's in charge of drawing all the maps for all the districts in the whole country. Yeah, and they've tried it uh, so far in six states, California, Arizona, Washington, Idaho, uh, Jersey, and Hawaii have passed over control uh, to commissions, uh, and these these maps don't even need approval, uh, final approval from uh, governors or state legislators. But apparently even there, like, these people are appointed by somebody, mm-hmm. so it's it's even hard to clean it up then, and they've shown that so far, like in California, I mean— <sighs> It hasn't swung any elections. It has made some of them closer, so maybe it's working a little bit. It sounds like it. That I think that point is worth making. Yeah, what, the, the elections that historically were not closer, closer? Yeah, like, sure. like Daryl Issa um, used to get like 63% of the vote. That's what he got in 2010. And once they instituted these nonpartisan commission maps, in 2016, he, he, got, just, he, got, he got a margin of less than 1%. Yeah. So, like, he had a 12% drop in votes once they they changed these maps. That's significant to me. Yeah. So maybe it hasn't swung an election in California yet, but that Mm -hmm. could be a sign that if we continue to do this, it could work. Right. But you would think, Chuck, okay, so if this is just such obvious, like, anti-constitutional, anti-democracy skullduggery, Mm -hmm. of course the Supreme Court's going to have something to say about this, right? Yeah, that's that's where it's gotten really weird this year is that uh, there's a case, Gill versus Whitford, uh, that I believe was – didn't the Supreme Court just say they're not even going to hear it? Yeah, they actually kicked it back down to the lower courts on a technicality saying that the people involved hadn't shown – that they have standing right? because they hadn't been directly harmed by it. Right. And they said, you go prove that your vote was actually wasted because of a gerrymandered map, which actually wouldn't be that hard to do these days, um, and, and let another lower court rule on it, and maybe we'll, we'll hear it next time. But they've been punting on it. Yeah, I mean, I, and that's the way our political system works. I'm not saying subvert that, but it seems like at some point we as a nation should be able to come together and say, hey— Kind of like money and uh, dark money and stuff. Like, can we just clean this up? But here's the thing, Chuck. If you got gerrymandered maps, even if everybody turns against the po- the dominant political party, you have to have like sixty percent of the vote, a massive voter voter turnout with like sixty percent of the vote voting against you to actually overwhelm the gerrymandering that yeah. that that these these maps produce or the the um the political tenacity that these gerrymandered maps produce. And you just don't have that. It w- you could do it with that, but it's, it's, it's just, as, as the current political reality is, it's just not going to happen. And so as long as they're allowed to, to keep these maps, whoever's in power, whenever they redraw the maps, actually gets to hang on to it. Yeah, and this is just another example of, like, feeling powerless because it, this stuff is. is being decided among very few people in these uh, closed-door sessions. And they, I'm sure they all think they're very clever in how they're uh, taking advantage of the system, mm-hmm. like right in front of our stupid faces. 
And the, and the Supreme Court, too, not swinging in. On the one hand, it's like, come on. But on the other hand, a lot of times we don't really want necessarily activist justices. It depends on the, the topic, probably, or the issue and how you feel about it. Right. But they, are, they, are, they have a long history of saying, that's political. That's not constitutional. You guys go handle it yourself. But one thing I saw as an explanation for why the Supreme Court is yet to get involved is because there's no uh, standard for what constitutes a, a congressional or a state district map. There's no standard that the Supreme Court can look at and say, this is the standard. This doesn't live up to that standard. Therefore, we're going to rule this way. So that's why they haven't done that. But they tend more often than not to uphold maps. Very, very infrequently do they overrule them. And there was like a whole spate of maps from Texas, North Carolina, Maryland, and Wisconsin that they basically said, yep, they're fine, whatever. And in Texas, they demonstrated that these gerrymandered maps had been used to dilute the voting power of Hispanics who live in Texas and are the majority of Texas now. They, the maps have been drawn specifically with the purpose of of diluting their voting power, which goes in against the Voting Rights Act of 1965. That's one thing they say, like, you can't mess with minorities' voting rights. Right. And for a long time, they've said, well, that includes gerrymandering. Well, Neil Gorsuch and Clarence Thomas are both um, starting the, I guess, a, a, uh, in this most recent one from, I think, Texas, they added on their own opinion saying, we don't think the Voting Rights Act actually prohibits that. And I think racial gerrymandering is totally fine under the law, which is a, a big problem. Yeah. So then go back and amend that act. Yeah, you could do that. But then again, you have to overcome the gerrymander. Right. <laughs> exactly, man. It's a... What do you, what's the snake that eats its tail? What's that called? The Ouroboros. This is a Aurora the, Borealis. The 28th <laughs> District of Maryland probably is what you call it. It's what it looks like. Oh, it's depressing, huh? Yeah, there's a, there's one more thing, too. This has been used, actually, to, to the opposite effect, too. I think during the first Bush administration, they were really big on drawing maps that— um, that were called affirmative gerrymandering, mm -hmm. which made sure that majority minority, meaning that areas where most of the people who lived there were um, minorities, uh, that they had very, very strong voting power, that it, it they went out of their way to reflect it. Mm -hmm. And they actually overreached in that way too, and, and sometimes the courts would throw those out. But um, it, it's gone both ways for sure throughout history. It just needs to stop entirely because yeah. people aren't able to actually vote or be represented in Congress like they should be. Yeah. You got anything else? No, I see the the blood has uh, crusted up nicely. <laughs> I know. I can't open eyes. my eyes. <laughs> You're, uh, you settled down. I was How pretty about, worked up in this one, too. You were, and I was glad. I was glad. Everybody should be worked up about this one. Yeah. Everybody. Yep. Uh, if you want to know more about gerrymandering, well, look up this article on how stuff works. It's pretty good. Since I said it's pretty good, it's time for listener mail. I'm going to call this, uh, uh, this is a very sad one, but I'm trying to get the word out to a, uh, to a listener here, for a listener. Um, guys, after a six-year battle, my father passed away last week from AML, hmm. acute uh, myeloid leukemia, at only 65 years old. In the middle of his struggle, however, he was able to achieve about two years of remission through the help of a bone marrow stem cell treatment. Uh, while the treatment ultimately failed, his remission gave him two more years of a relatively healthy life where he was able to meet the absolute 
uh, apple of his eye, and my new baby daughter, uh, Sorsha. Oh, congratulations. Love that name. Uh, she will be one year old uh, July 1st, which uh, is kind of right around when this is coming out, probably. Uh, and spend time with my other two kids, Gavin and Grayson, doing one of the things he loved most in the world, which is being a grandfather. So hoping maybe you guys could give a shout out to the Be The Match Bone Marrow Registry. It only takes a few minutes to register, and they send you a little cheek swab kit that you send back in, and boom, you're now eligible to get the call to possibly give someone more time uh, with their friends and family, or possibly even save their life. Uh, you can go to www.bethematch.org and check it out. Uh, and that is from Chris. And uh, wrote back to Chris. Very sorry to hear about his father. And yeah. uh, definitely, definitely a worthy organization to check out. Yeah, thanks for telling everybody, Chris. That's a that's a good one. I'm gonna check that out myself. Yep, me too. Uh, if you want to let us know about something that we and everybody who listens to this podcast can do to make the world a better place, we really, really want to know about it. You can uh, tweet to us. You can join us on Instagram, on Facebook, all that jam. You can find all those links at our website, stuffyoushouldknow.com. You can also send us an email. Send it to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.